Pow! Wow, that was a big pow, right? <laughs> that was a super pow. Because I'm super pow today. I am in such a good mood today. So many good things to be thankful for, to be grateful for, to stand in pride and in, um, you know, honoring today our special day. June 21st. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Sara Contreras. Welcome to my podcast of the day, Freak of Nature. And I'm calling this show today, Relishing Our Poppies, because it is, drum roll. I like mine, it was shorter. Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day! It is so much fun to be celebrating our first Father's Day since the lockdown. This is like first of everything's um, since the lockdown. And the idea is that with all the turmoil and with all of the stuff that is going on that does bring a little strife to our lives, we have to remember all of the good that is overwhelmingly what we experience. I, I am one of those people, I do believe, People are good, life is wonderful, and yeah, we have some bumps along the way, but overall, I'm in a great mood today. Thank you. I had a lot of really great feedback from last week's last week's uh, a podcast. I was super, super excited to see some of the comments that I got. Um, you know, it was a controversial topic. I know that it was, and I really went out on a limb because I have been one of these sort of guarded comedians that doesn't like to step into certain areas because it might be too controversial but guess what all gloves are off now i'm like i'm done with all that nonsense trying to self-censor and self politically correctify myself exactly charge because sara contreras is just gonna say what's in sara contreras's mind and whoever don't like it can kiss sara contreras's mm -hmm. So the point is, it was a controversial topic last week, and it was difficult because I have friends who have a lot of police officers in their family, and it does create a lot of tension in an otherwise non-tense situation. So, you know, it, it causes people to talk a lot, and that's good. But the main thing is, this is the takeaway, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to do another one next week, Living Anti-Racist. I want to do a part two. It certainly is an ongoing conversation. But what I want to say is, in the end, cops are working class grunts just like a lot of us are. And in the end, we all want the same things. We want a home and we want safety for our children and great schools and we want a safe environment. We want the same things. So unfortunately, because of the crappy system that we live in, we get pitted against each other as well. So it's just another one of those keep people separated and as long as you can keep the enemies among themselves, they're not gonna focus their energy where it needs to go, which is, we'll talk about it next week. But anyway, happy Father's Day! I'm excited. I wanted to actually do a little bit of history on Father's Day because I'm, I am, I love studying history. I'm a very intellectually curious person. I will always look stuff up. So I found out today that the first Father's Day was um, actually acknowledged in 1910 in Washington, not D.C., Washington State. You know where we have like the Chaz area. That's now the chop. It went from Capitol Hill. Um, 
it's not, what is the A for? The A is for autonomous, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And then they decided that they don't want to be autonomous because it kind of suggested to trying to break away from the government, much like the South did in the Civil War. Um, so they changed it to Capitol Hill Organized Protest. So that was the first time they actually acknowledged fathers in some official way. And then in 1914, <laughs> they acknowledged Mother's Day first because, you know, we just more important. But what I found real ironic is that Woodrow Wilson actually uh, called it an opportunity to recognize that tender, gentle army, the mothers of America. Tender and gentle. Clearly, our Latina moms had not landed on the shores yet. Because really, tender and gentle? Let me tell you something. My mother was not tender and gentle. So, and, and neither was my dad. But anyway, the point is, this was in 1914. And then in 72, finally, 58 years later, Richard Nixon, of all people, Chicky Dick, recognized Father's Day um, in 1972 as a national holiday. Ta-da! But here's the best part. Did you know this, honey? In the 20s and 30s, they actually tried to organize it and make it a parent's day. So that this way, you know, it kind of, so just appreciate both of them at the same time. But let's face it, there's more money to be made if you have two separate holidays. I read that on average, people, Americans spend $1 billion a year on gifts for Mother's and Father's Day. So there you go. Now we know why they do it. So on this special day, I want to give my special shouts out. Is it shouts out or shout outs? Shout um, Starting with my boo. That first papi. Because you know there's papi who's your daddy and then there's papi who's your so I'm talking about my dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope you like your father's day gift. <laughs> my papi, Alex. Alexis Miranda, who I think is probably one of the top maybe two dads that I have ever known. Not because we're in love, but the way he is with his children. He has two beautiful daughters. Um, is a revel It's just a revelation. I remember when we first started dating, I used to watch him and he would literally watch videos of his girls playing sports from when they were kids. And I remember back then when we first started, like, oh, kind of weird, like I don't do that. But he was in this period of really missing his girls and missing that time. They were going through, his daughter was giving birth to his first grandson. Jackson, happy birth, happy Father's Day, Ryan. So yeah, so this was something that was a bit of a marvel. But more importantly, he was a great, a marvelous father to his own children. But the way that he has embraced my children, who he calls my son, the son he never had. Like, I, I have really, this is the first time that I've had to deal with somebody else's children. And I'm not gonna lie, when I was younger and I was dating, I'm not gonna lie, I just said it. If I fall in love and they have a kid, I'll work, deal with it. But I kind of really shied away from it because that is a truly, truly um, unselfish act to love someone else's children. So the fact that he's done that with mine is uh, amazing. I want to give a shout out to uh, my son, who is, you know, obviously my firstborn. Happy Father's Day, Papi! He's such a good dad. He is. He's a lot of fun. He's funny. He's teaching my grandson history and music and culture and I am not worried about that little boy growing up to be an amazing amazing adult I want to say happy father's day to my to my granddaughter's father Justin Justin you know that 
we have definitely had our little things. And, you know, I was rooting for you, Papi. I really was rooting for you. And it didn't work out, and I get that. And it's fine, because in the end, you will always be in my heart. You gave me this beautiful little girl. And more importantly, Justin, you are a wonderful, wonderful father. And for that, you will always have a special place in my heart. Yo no soy gencorosa. I don't hold on to stuff. I forgive. And that's why I am a freak of nature, because I'm not holding on to stuff. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. And by the way, on that note, Justin is a man whose father is Puerto Rican, whose mother is black. And that myth of black father absenteeism is, has got to stop. I mean, it's so easy to blame the victims for the problems that exist in their neighborhoods. Yes, we know that there were many, many years when that happened, but we also understand the way that men, black men are incarcerated at a higher rate, how they are killed at a higher rate. So yeah, they may not have been there for a minute, but <laughs> African-American fatherhood is alive and well. And I have seen some of the most magnificent parenting uh, just within my home. I also want to give a shout out to David, my granddaughter's stepfather, who is also stepping in with his, his own brood and then stepping in to help raise my granddaughter. Our friends, Dwight, Sandy, Charlie and Heaven, Damien, all these people that we love, all my family. I don't have any uncles left. I realized that this morning I have no uncles. Like, that's weird. I might have some half-uncles that were my mother's half-brothers. I know I have family in the South, and I have to track them down. But cousins and everybody. Um, this is a great time to remember the important people in our lives. And last but not least, my daddy. Happy Father's Day, Daddy. I never called my father Papi. I don't know. We never called him Papi. It was always Daddy. He was always Daddy. My daddy was amazing. Um, my dad was from all of his pictures that I saw when he was little. He was from he was born in Adjuntas, Puerto Rico, up in the mountains, and uh, he is the whitest man I know. Like physically, he is his skin is so pale, and so um, he always had to stay out of the sun. Whitest man I knew, and poorest family among some of the poorest families that I had ever known or read about. Um, were in my family. My grandparents did not have a lot of money. My father had to drop out of school when he was very young. He had to go to work. And he was part of that exodus that came to, to New York in the early 50s. So, here's my father, light skin, little Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico, looking like a young Frank Sinatra. I wish I had the pictures. Very, very young Frank Sinatra. And um, he was a bit of a cat. He was short. My father's all five foot four, and he might have been the tallest one in his family. <laughs> But he was, you know, sharp. He was confident and uh, learning his English. And he sees this dark-skinned trigueñita walking down the block. And my mother just, like, stopped everybody short that day. They were playing stickball. I love the story. They were playing stickball on Moore Street, which is where I was born in Bushwick. And he sees this trigueñita, and he was like, yo. And that was what started the whole thing. But the scandal was... That my mother, not only was she dark-skinned, but she had two kids. And, and I mean, she may have still been married. But she was a bit of a cad herself. So instant family. My dad falls in love with this woman who now has a five and a six-year-old child. Um, he worked in trophy factories. He worked in New York. He worked in Queens. I believe he even worked in Jersey for a little while. 
we moved to the projects, we grew up, I think I talked about all that. My dad was a very proud man. Both my parents were like that. My father used to work in some factory. He broke his arm playing softball. He was always a part of some softball league growing up, some Puerto Rican softball league. And he broke his arm and they put it in a cast. And it was the one and only time that my family had to go on welfare. My father was a very proud man. He always worked. My mom was home with us till we were about five or six years old. And now he's got a cast on his arm and he had to now go before these meetings where they treated him like dirt. He would tell us how they would talk to him because he was Puerto Rican in these agencies. And I'll never forget this. I can see this in my head. My father came home and cracked that. He took a hammer and he broke the cast so that he could go back to work. That's who my father was, extremely, extremely proud. And some of the earliest memories I have of my father who was ever present, I don't ever remember a time when I didn't have my parents. Like, I don't know what that's like. My parents were together 60 plus years by the time my mom died. So I remember the two memories I have of my father, one, the very earliest memory I have of my dad, unfortunately, was what I would, would learn eventually was the day that I may have been molested when I was a little baby, when I was like maybe three or four years old. I just have this sense memory of my dad walking in. I remember being on someone's lap, yeah, pretty gross, and being bounced. So I'm not sure what the particulars were. I'm sure if I asked my dad now, he might not even remember it. But that was something that had happened, and I know who the, the person was. I remember that, and I remember the day that John F. Kennedy got shot. Yo, I'm old. I remember that my father was carrying me, and people were crying in the streets. Then I got a little bit older, and the other memory I have that sticks in my head, my parents never liked confrontation. They could never actually be in your face like, yes, you did that. And I was mostly a really, really good kid growing up. I had you know, really good grades, I was hardworking. But that day, I had already found weed. And my father came home, we were smoking weed with Elizabeth Pacheco, I'll never forget this. <laughs> Elizabeth Pacheco lived up on the 14th floor, we lived on the 13th floor. Uh, one of the upper floors, and we were smoking weed in, in the bathroom. And if, if, if anybody knows the projects, there's a long, 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 long corridor in the, in the bigger apartments, and then the bathrooms are off that. So he, I hear him opening the door, I'm like, oh, damn. So I'm like, what, 13, 14 years old? And my girlfriend says, throw it in the, throw it in the toilet, it'll flush. Well, if anybody knows, that doesn't work because the paper breaks up and now you have all these crumbles of weed everywhere in the water. And we're trying to flush and we're trying to flush. My father's banging on the door. We're trying to flush. Oh, God, he's going to beat us up. And my father definitely wouldn't beat, but he took that belt and it was no joke. Zaro, we called him, because he had some puteria with that belt. So what does he do? He, we open up the door and we're waiting for my father to go at it. And he looks at us and it's me and my sister Bibi and Elizabeth. And he looks at us and then he goes, to, and then he goes, you, this is all your fault. And we're like, okay. It's like, he's like, get out, get out. And we're sitting there going, oh, all right, it's not our fault. I can work with this. So Elizabeth left. And we didn't get in any trouble that day. My father, when she left, he was like, I know that this, this not, you don't do this. You're a good girl. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to argue. Poor Elizabeth, but she took off for the team. And I remember the last time that my father hit me. My father used to hit me. And, you know, look, I definitely do not condone it. That was what my father knew. That was how he was raised. He actually had a ruptured eardrum from one of the times that my grandfather like punished him. So 
it was just the way everybody did it. Nobody did time out or anything like that. So I was 16 years old and I had a fist fight with my sister. Me and my sister, woo, let me tell you something. I have never been afraid to throw a, fight, a punch. Me and my sister used to duke it up like the best. When you were one year apart, we used to fight constantly. Like I've never been afraid. I'm not the one. I've never been afraid to throw a punch. And it's gotten me in trouble as an adult. I am much better now. Because now when I'm thinking about throwing a punch, I'm like, damn, I don't want to bust this shoulder out. And I got to worry about a hip replacement. My calcium is my, you know, all this stuff that you got to think about after a certain age. I be working shit out. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we will work something out. So he hits, he, he, um, he comes home and my other sister and brother ratted us out. My deaf brother and sister, oh, damn, they fine to me, you know. So it was bad. My father took that belt out and I knew we were going to get it. Oh my goodness. He, I mean, really, really hit me hard with that belt. And I'll never forget, that. I was 16 years old. Then he turns around and he starts to go at Bibi, my sister. Bibi had a boil on the back of her leg, a big boil. They ran in our family for a minute and he hits that boil. If anybody knows how bad boils hurt, that thing exploded. And I remember just instinctively, that's why no matter what family is family, yo, I jumped in front of my, on top of my sister and I took hulking. Which, by the way, was how I lived most of my life in that house. I always used to feel bad about my younger sister and then I'd jump on top and I would take all the licks. But I was that real defiant, rebellious little kid that wouldn't <laughs> cry. It would be like, yeah, that's all you got? Give me another one. Okay, give me another. I mean, that's how it was. I was really, really tough that way. So now I get two lickings. Now the one thing I will say about my dad, my dad's biggest issue with that form of punishment or form of consequences was that the rage would take over. And therein is the problem with doing that because then you just forget what you're doing and you go in. And he would always feel horrible when it was over. And so there was a tremendous amount of guilt and remorse, which <laughs> I learned to work in my advantage, so, you know, I got a couple pieces of jewelry, and I, actually, the last time I got this beautiful watch that he gave to me, and I still have, I got a little, let me tell you, Zaro, yo, I, he hit my watch, I had a teeny little, um, oh God, not a, not a Lova. it was one of those, Elgin, oh my God, that was a big name in the 60s, Elgin watch, and I was very, I was a good student, so I was always getting watches and TVs, and if my brother didn't steal it, I was maybe able to hold on to it for a little while, so that, I remember he hit it with the belt and to this day, I can see the coils flying in the air from inside the watch. So the next day he bought me another watch and he would always bring me knishes from Mr. Hilton on the corner of Lafayette or one of those side streets in Bed-Stuy off of Lewis. There used to be a place called Mr. Hilton's right across from the church. It was DeKalb, I believe it was like Lafayette, Kosciuszko, something like that. And then this street was Lewis. And there was a big, beautiful church there. My mother used to work there as an, as an aide as well. So he went from, you know, breaking his arm and getting it back on track so he could go back to work. And then he worked for MTA. My dad was a transit worker. When he retired, he ended up becoming, uh, retiring from the MTA. And in 78, my father had a terrible car accident. Oh, but wait, before, let's go back. 73, my dad, we're living in the projects. We've been there for 10 years. Comes in and says... Familia, we're going to move to the country. Now, I'm thinking we're going to move, you know, some place with horses, some land. We moved to Queens. Yeah. All right. So we ended up in Queens. And in that time, in the five years, my father had a definite drinking problem when we were young. It was an issue that sort of fed a lot of that anger and that rage. And 
he was able to surmount all of that. And I will tell you this about the alcoholism, it, it is hard. I am an adult child of an alcoholic. I have to admit that. I talk about it uh, where I can. You know, addiction does run in my family. It manifested in my older brother. It manifested in my older sister. We are um, six, I've said this before, and only two of us didn't go to rehab. I was one of them. Um, but the point was that alcoholism is something that stays with you. And when we were kids, one other memory that I have of my father, which is not a good memory, that I was always the one that sat in the front seat between my mom and my dad. Because back then, it was just one seat and the gears were on top of the steering wheel. Remember that, honey? And so there was nothing in between. So it was my dad, me, and then my mother, my father driving, and then the three other, my three other younger brothers and sisters were in the back. And I remember that my father used to drive so fast and so erratically. And every once in a while, he would fall asleep at the wheel. And it was my mother screaming, Louis! Louis! And my mother waking him up so that to keep us all safe. And I remember that one of the saddest memories I have as a child, I don't remember how old I was, I must have been about 10 or 11 years old. My mother was kind of disgusted by all of it and tired of it and she stopped screaming. And I remember thinking to myself, don't stop screaming, mom. You gotta keep screaming, you gotta keep us alive. And I remember just looking at my dad and thinking, you gotta stop doing this, yeah. So in 1978, my father has a really bad car accident. And that was the turning point for my dad. My, my dad smashed up my sister's car. He almost hurt, he really hurt one of our neighbors. And it was just this moment, this uh, transformative, and it was the quantum leap in his life. He gave, he went cold turkey. Liquor, cigarettes, apparently sex. But he found religion. And that was the thing. My dad at that point became a born again Christian. And it did save his life, and I'm thankful for it. Um, unfortunately, it, his interpretation of what he accepted as his God and his guidance also fed into a lot of bigotry and a lot of intolerance, and it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. Despite all of that, as adults, we clashed a lot, but my father has always been the most gentle, loving, loyal. Uh, the one thing he didn't support, though, <laughs> when I became a radical, in my 20s, he had a big problem with that because he was religious and I wasn't. I, at that point, uh, adopted and became, recognized the atheism that, to which I subscribe and it really, really created a lot of problems with us. Um, and he used to take, I used to have this newspaper that I subscribed to and he used it as the, the, litter, the litter paper for the dogs. So we had our problems as adults, but he was able to at least adjust his life in a way that he stopped drinking and that was really, and stopped smoking, and that was the biggest part. Fast forward, now my dad is 88. He is, um, he has suffered with, of course, we're Puerto Ricans, diabetes, um, heart attack, coronary artery disease, C, well, I don't know if he has CD, COPD. Interestingly, my mom had the COPD because of all the years of my dad smoking. So that's how it works, but, yeah, the one thing I have to give my dad a lot of credit for, which I was thankful for when my mom passed away, he had bought a mausoleum at um, Woodlawn Cemetery before a pre-construction mausoleum. And we were, I was very critical, oh, it was so much money, $15,000. But when we showed up the day of my mother's funeral, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. Um, and I'm bringing this up because as soon as my parents, my, when my mom died, 
you know, it, you really do start to recognize your own mortality. And now my dad is still with me, so I am, I want some applause for this. I am so lucky to have my father still. And I am so grateful for that. I don't know a lot of people my age that could say that or younger, and it's sad because that is such an important part of who we were. The first man I loved, you know, the first, I was, I remember pretending I was his girlfriend when I was about 13, 14. I definitely had, um, what's the complex? Is it Odessa? It's Oedipus and uh, Ophelia? I don't remember now. I should have looked it up. My father has recently been diagnosed with dementia. So that definitely makes you start to look at yourself and you have to remember something, mi gente. This is super important, especially as black and Latinos. We do have the highest rates of diabetes and, and blood disease and heart disease and so on and so forth. So we have to be aware of that and break those cycles of eating and, and being sedentary. It is in our blood. I actually had to go for a cardiological examination. I couldn't believe it. I told it. I said, what are you talking about? High cholesterol? High are you nuts? I'm like, I've run three New York City marathons. I don't eat meat. I haven't eat meat, eaten meat since 1978. I barely eat chips. I, my one weakness is Tootsie Pops. Everybody who knows me knows that. And peanut butter. But I'm like, like one of these people that sits with a barrel of ice cream. You know, I eat egg whites. Are you kidding me? And you know what he said to me? He said, you are a healthy woman. You are a freak of nature who has terrible genetics. You have a terrible family history. So on this day of Father's Day, take a look at your family history. Ask yourself, are there things that I have to be mindful of because this is what I have been handed to with my genetic history? You know, you have to be aware of that. You know what the doctor said to me? Oh, you did all these great things? Imagine if you hadn't. And that stuck to me. I was like, you know what? He's absolutely right. And as freaks of nature and the next generation, my daughter's generation, but particularly ours, as freaks of nature, us who are in 55 to 70, right? That 15 year, we're, we're still here, man. We're not going anywhere. We, are, we have so much to contribute still. I have so many wonderful things that are happening in my life right now that I wouldn't have been able to tell you, oh yeah, this is all gonna happen to me after I'm in my 60s. Are you kidding me? We're not done. So on this Father's Day, look at your family history. Look at your dad's history. Ask yourself, do I want to take 18 pills a day when I'm in my 80s? Do I want to take 10 pills a day when I'm in my 70s? Do I want to take six pills a day when I'm in my 60s? These are the things that as a freak of nature, you can control. Remember, I said that in, in freak of nature, you are the one that has to relish your life, what your life, the value that your life has. And to honor your father, to honor your mother, to honor everyone who came before, we have to make promises about making ourselves the best going into the next generation. That's the gift I give my kids that hopefully, that I gave my children, and hopefully they will give their children and we can break this insidious cycle of um, you know, heart disease and problems that does exist in our community. So that is basically it. I just wanted to keep it short and sweet this week. Happy Father's Day to everybody, everybody, everybody in this beautiful, beautiful world. Keep the fight, keep the struggle, and honey, relish your poppies. Relish your poppies. Next week, I'm gonna definitely go back to my anti-racism discussion, living anti-racist. Um, still a lot of stuff that's going on, clearly, 
And to the people that bought all those TikTok tickets to the rally yesterday. <laughs> Yo, I ain't gonna lie, that was the best thing I saw this morning. Anyway, mi gente, thank you for listening. Sara Contreras, Freak Nature. Till next time. Thank you.